Um, okay, so, um, yeah, the Bible. Um, yeah, the Old Testament, one of the uh, biggest uh, issues I had, um, or the biggest kind of barriers to my faith, um, particularly after university, um, or during university, was uh, the Old Testament. And what the heck is this book, um, the, or this section of the Bible, half the Bible, well, more than half the Bible, um, you know, it is, it's a confusing book, or it's a confusing section of the Bible, um, particularly when you try to look at God and what he's like, um, and uh, I think I'm not alone in that. I think a lot of people will, when they want to talk about Christianity or talk against Christianity, one of the things they'll talk about is, really, this God who advocates for slavery and this God who, um, you know, commands genocide and this God who does all this, like, horrible stuff um, or seemingly horrible stuff in the Old Testament. This is the God that you follow or that you think is good or that, you know, like, you're crazy. Um, so that was something that I carried with me for a long, long time. And uh, I think that um, the Bible doesn't do the work for you. You have to do the work digging through the Bible to actually um, know who God is um, and to know what he's really like, um, including in the Old Testament. So we're going to spend three weeks uh, looking at the Old Testament and the New Testament and the relationship uh, between them. And, and is it um, a series of disconnected stories? Um, and it, you know, what, does it, what does it have to do with our life? And, and why should we uh, you know, still read both sections of the Bible and call them both the Bible? Um, but before we talk any further, let's uh, pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for the time that we can spend together. We thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that your word gives life, Lord, um, the Old and New Testament, that um, your word reveals who you are and um, that you are life. Lord, we just ask that you would speak tonight and we would ask that we would be um, attentive to whatever you have to say to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so... Um, <clears throat> What kind of, uh, put your hand up if you're in the same kind of boat as me in terms of like struggling with the Old Testament, New Testament. Does anyone relate to that or not really? Okay. What kind of things have you had issues with that cause friction inside of you? Feel free to shout it out. If anything. Okay. Yeah. So the old laws and things like that in the books of Leviticus and Numbers. Well, throughout the whole of the Torah, the, the first five books, yep. What's the relevance of those? Anything else? That's it. Just a scholarly pursuit. <laughs> Maybe the amount of violence in the Old Testament Yep. That was a big one for me. Yeah. The violence and the seemingly that God is for the violence. Yeah. Anything else? Strange temperamental shifts. I could be reading. <laughs> sure, yeah. God seems quite volatile. Yeah. Is quite different to uh, the, the meek and mild Jesus that we apparently have in our heads. Yeah. So, yeah, these are all uh, great things. <clears throat> now, I'm going to say something, but I could backtrack on this, okay? So, forgive me if I backtrack on this, but this is what we're going to do over the course of the next, uh, well, the, these three weeks. This, today, I won't backtrack on this. Today, we're talking about God's commands. 
looking Old Testament, New Testament, is there, is there, a, like, is there consistency? Is there a thought behind his commands? Uh, next week, we're going to talk about God's justice and what that looks like. So his justice in the Old Testament versus what justice looks like in the New Testament. And um, uh, this is the one I'm not sure if we'll actually do or not. God's love, the third and final week. What it looks like in the Old Testament, what it looks like in the New Testament. Um, uh, but anyway, so don't hold me to that, but that's the roadmap so far. So before we get into God's commands, let's have a look at uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. And this is our like cornerstone Bible verse for the next few weeks. And it is uh, Paul commentating on um on well well what we're going to talk about tonight um so let's have a look at it colossians chapter 2 verse 16 to 17 if you got your bibles open it up danny boy should open it up soon as well so it says this yeah therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a sabbath these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So essentially what Paul is saying is he's saying, all right, the things that's in the, in the Old Testament, the things that's in the, the Tanakh, the, 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 the Hebrew scriptures, um, the laws, the festivals, the rituals, all these things, they're a shadow of the things to come. Um, but the substance, the reality, the cornerstone, the anchor is found in Jesus. Um, and that's what that video that we just saw is about, is uh, that the Bible is a unified story that is all leading up to uh, Jesus and preparing us for who God is, what he looks like in the flesh and um, what his will and ways and his plan is over our lives. So that all leads us to, OK, commands. Um, a lot of us, when we think about God's commands or commandments, we think about well, actually, you know what? You tell me what you think about. When I say commandment, God's commandments, what comes to mind? Not wearing multiple linen. Okay. Obscure commandments. <laughs> that comes to Jonathan's mind. The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, sure. And what do you think about when you think about the Ten Commandments? Set of rules. Set of rules. Yeah. What were you saying, Freddie? <laughs> Nothing? You don't think about anything when it comes to yeah, set of rules. God's a stickler for rules. It's a checklist. He's checking it twice. And uh, are you naughty or nice? Um, the, yeah, this is the way that we look at um, the, the commands in the Bible, particularly when it comes to uh, the Old Testament. Can anyone think of a commandment that Jesus said? Okay, beautiful. Yes, you're, you're correct. You're absolutely right. That's very different, isn't it, compared to, you know, do not commit adultery, do not covet your neighbor's ox and whatever else, right? It's very different. So we have this inherent uh, um, break or split when we think about God in the Old Testament and God in the New Testament in terms of his commands and his laws. Um, but tonight we're going to actually have a look and we're going we're gonna, to, hopefully you guys will see what I see, which is that no, uh, it is, he is consistent, that the through line through all of his commands uh, uh, the one, the one spirit, the one heart um, that he reveals in Jesus. So, uh, trivia question for you: Do you know what the first command is in the Bible? So what? 
uh, good, yes, uh, except for not technically a command. Uh, I would call that more a mandate, like God's kind of like mandate for humanity and for all of life. Huh? Well, mandate being more like this is the, the, the inherent thing that he blesses and, and gives to us. It's not something that he asks us to do. It's just inherent in us to be fruitful and to multiply. It's like inherent in, in our makeup, right? Like you procreate, like it's not a commandment that I do that. It's, it's inherent in me. Yeah. Also, uh, when you look at that, it, it doesn't say God commanded. It just says God set be fruitful in the same way that God said let there be light and his acts of creation it's not a command it's just him speaking and it being right whereas the command what's the first command it's very shortly after that huh exactly let's have a look at Genesis chapter 2 well almost exactly that's actually the second command Let's have a look at the, the... So the first two commands come right after each other. It's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. Have a look at this, because this will tell you a lot about um, God. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. The context of this, he's just created the universe. He's just created the earth. He's created Adam. And he set Adam in the Garden of Eden, paradise. And in this garden, there are two trees. There is the... Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what's the other tree that's there? The tree of life. That's right. Tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God, uh, he's, he's put Adam there. And then this is what he says to him in verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man saying, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No. He says, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. That's the first command. The first command is not a restrictive command. The first command is a permissive command. It is the tr- all these trees, all of creation, I have given to you. Every single one of them. Go eat. Enjoy. And then he says in verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the, de- in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay, so two commands right after each other, connected but different. One saying, enjoy, eat. God is, 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 is displaying his generousness uh, and his love and his provision. And he says, enjoy it, enjoy it. And then he says, but this other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this tree, um, don't eat of it. And, you know, I don't know if you guys ever remember like being raised or going to school or whatever else as a kid. And, you, you know, your parents or a teacher or something like that, they might say, don't do this. And you turn around and you say to them, why? And they say, just because I said so, right? God doesn't do this with Adam and Eve. Uh, In fact, God specifically says to Adam, he says, don't do this because why? You're going to die, right? You shall surely die. So what what is behind this this command? Is it a command that says, don't have fun because... Is it, don't be a bad girl, I'm watching, and, uh, or like I'm ready to pounce on you if you screw up, or is that the kind of thing that we're hearing here? No, it's the complete opposite. It's, this tree is here, and this tree is not for you. This tree is for you to ignore and reject, because if you do take from it, it will result in death. It will result in relational, relational death, which we see immediately after Adam and Eve uh, 
take from the fruit and eat it, the first thing they do is hide and, uh, from each other, hide their bodies from each other. Relationship is broken. And relationship with God, they hide from God. Um, and then spiritual death, you know, they're cast from the garden. Eternal life is barred from them. But also uh, physical death eventually, you know, what <clears throat> one day they will die and, and death enters the world. So uh, this is God. Now, obviously, the question that comes to mind is, well, why put that tree in there in the first place? Like, that seems unfair. It seems unfair that God would have this tree right there with all the other trees and expect Adam and Eve to say, um, no, don't. That's going to kill you. Or then why? It's like putting poison around your baby. Why would you, you know, have that hazard around your child? Well, look, the reality here is, and this is the meme that John loves to... That's right. Exactly right. The, the, I sound like a broken record, but this is true. When you, when you say to someone, uh, you have free will, but they have no choice... They don't have free will. When you say to someone, be in relationship with me, but you don't give them a choice, you've, you've taken them hostage and they have no other option but to be around you, there's no relationship, there's no love. That's one thing. But the other profound thing is that if you truly want to experience life, if you truly want to go up to the, the tree of, the, of, of life and eat from it, you know what you've got to do? You've got to walk past the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You've got to ignore your intent, your desire to dictate what is good and evil over your life. You have to choose to accept that God has already dictated that. And that's the only way you have life. This is human nature. This is the reality of being a human. Every single time we have brought pain and suffering into our own lives, it's because we've walked past the tree of life and decided for ourselves what is good and what is evil for ourselves and ignored what God has called good and evil. And it always ends in pain and suffering and in hardship for us and for others. And so what does God ask them to do? He says, you know me. I created you. I created this world. You know me. I'm good. I created everything to be good. Everything around you is good. This tree, though, this tree is not good, though. Ignore this tree. You can eat of everything. Everything else is good, including the tree of life. But this tree, ignore it. Walk past it. Don't take from it. And then we see the failure. So God, in this, in this first couple of commands, we see this profound and beautiful and remarkable truth that is constantly uh, iterated over and over and over again throughout the whole Bible, all the New Testament. And that is that he loves you, that he creates an environment where he wants you to flourish, that he gives you everything you need for that to happen. Um, but he asks you to trust him. He asks you to ignore your own desire, your own idea of what good and evil is, your own whatever inclinations are, ignore it and look to him, follow him. And the command is not do it because I say so or do it or else. The command is because this is what will give you life. This is what will make you flourish. This is what is good. And the choice is left up to us, right? What do you guys think about that? Okay, shall we move on? Let's have a look at the famous next lot of commands, which is uh, the ten, ten Commandments. 
Let's have a look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5. So, uh, more trivia. Can anyone tell me how many times in the Bible the Ten Commandments are written? Twice. Correct, twice. Can any Bonus points, can anyone tell me where in the Bible it's written? Other than Deuteronomy 5, because that's what we're about to read. Exodus. Correct, Exodus chapter 20. Now, the thing about the Ten Commandments. So, it, you go out on the street, you go talk to anyone, you say to them, what do you think of the Ten Commandments? I think most people will say it's pretty decent, it's a pretty good idea, like, it's, um, it makes sense, you know, don't kill people, and don't commit adultery, and don't steal, and, you know, honour your father and mother, and all that kind of stuff. That's pretty good. Most people aren't against that stuff. Um, <clears throat> but also... It's like, you know, you might ask another group of people and they might say, oh, yes, it's God's checklist for you to live a, a life that, um, you know, is supposed to bring you to heaven or something like that. And that's very far from the truth. Um, the, the context, the reason why God gives the Ten Commandments is really, is, is, well, well, we'll explore it together. But essentially, in a nutshell, the reason why he gives his people these, these commandments is he makes a covenant with them. Uh, covenant is a really important word in the Bible. It comes up over and over and over again. And covenant, um, we, uh, we, I've talked about this, and I think we've talked about this to varying degrees, but covenant is essentially, uh, hands up if you've ever bought a house. I know not many of you. Hands up if you've... <laughs> hands up if you've ever been married. Okay. <laughs> what you're doing when you sign that contract, in fact, many times when you look through those contracts, yeah. Sure, yeah, absolutely, yes, signing a, a contract for work. Uh, many, many times, when you're doing that, in fact, in many contracts that you'll read, they will have, if you read carefully, um, sections of covenants, things that you are agreeing to. Uh, a covenant uh, now and in the Old Testament essentially just means an agreement, a solemn agreement, an agreement where both parties come together and decide that they will join together for a particular purpose and that that purpose will be fulfilled. And if that purpose is not fulfilled, there will be consequences. Okay. Now, the thing in the Bible, the interesting thing in the Bible is that God makes multiple covenants. But uh, only one of them uh, has a condition, and that's the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is the only conditional covenant that God makes in the Bible. Can, when I, what I mean when I say conditional is that it's the only uh, agreement that he makes where it actually depends on the faithfulness of the other party um, for everything to come out the way it's supposed to come out. The other covenants that God makes are unconditional. In other, including the new covenant that we see in Jesus, which is that he says, I will do this and it doesn't matter what you do. He promised that he'll do it and he does it. Right. The other covenants like that are the Davidic covenant where God promises to David that the Messiah will come from his line and the Abrahamic uh, covenant where he promises to Abraham that out of his descendants will come uh, will come um, the people of Israel and then eventually the Messiah. So. Um, anyway, all that to say that a covenant here, think, think of this, what we're about to read, not as just a set of rules that you people obey or whatever else. Think of it as a contract, but better yet, think of it as a marriage ceremony where vows are being made to each party. 
Literally, like, in fact, when you read the story in Exodus chapter 20, that is exactly what you're supposed to think about. So let's have a look at Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verses 6 to 22. Um, Maybe I will skip some of the commandments. We'll see how we go. So verse 6, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. Um, On it you shall do no work, you or your sons or daughters, your male or female servants, your ox, your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male uh, servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were as slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that, your God, that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly. So this is Moses commentating on. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of fire, the cloud, the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. All right. Did you hear the romantic air of God's words? Did you hear the, I promise to, you know, the, the vows that you Believe it or not, that's one of the things going on here. That these commands, they're not just what God is asking his people to do to him, they're actually revealing what's in his own character and nature. That God is not a God who is faithless. He's a God who is faithful. God is not a God who lies or bears false witness. He is truth. God is not a God who um, uh, murders. He provides life. He is the author of life. He is not the God who, you know, etc. You just tick off the list. This is who God is. And so the idea is that as he is speaking this to his people or to the people that he is calling to be his people, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for them to, uh, for them to know him. It's a challenge to say, this is what I'm like. You're going to get to know me. But it's also a challenge for them to live in step with that. And any of you who have been in a relationship know that to be in a relationship, you can't be at odds with the person you're in a relationship with. You have to try your best to walk alongside that person, to, to take on their values and their ideals, even though you might not like it, but for the sake of their good, etc., etc. right? And so this covenant that he is making, he says to them, do these things, know me, this is who I am, and be people that are like me. Why? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. 
Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I, I command you today, which were just the Ten Commandments, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your ha- house and on your gates. In other words, they are going to... D- These commands that God has just given us, put it all over you, absorb it, let it become part of you, let it be you. Why? Verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that God, that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. Does that ring a bell? Does that remind you of anything? Does it remind you maybe of two trees in a garden? Be careful. Absorb it. Obtain it. Let it be all part of you. Let it be written all over you and your house and your family. Why? So that you can have life. So that you could be alive. That you could live in such a way that is life and that gives life to others. Uh, In Exodus chapter 19, before God uh, declares the commandments, he says this to the people in verse 5, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are people that were slaves, like literally just a few chapters ago, they were slaves they were people who had no hope, no future, no nothing. Their, their, their only uh, idea of a good life was to not die a horrible death. And God takes them out. He delivers them. He saves them in this miraculous, incredible way that shows without a doubt that he is God and everyone else and all the, the idols and, and all that kind of stuff of Egypt are nothing compared to him. Without a doubt, he is the God of, of gods. And he says to them, Follow me, obey my commands. These things I'm about to say, follow them, like obey them. Why? Because then you're not going to be slaves anymore. You're not going to be taking from this tree that will kill you and poison you and poison the world around you. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. You know what a priest is? A priest, particularly in Old Testament kind of thinking, a priest is someone who represents God. A priest is someone who literally speaks on behalf of God. So God says, you will, become, you, will become, you will be turned from slaves and become people who literally carry me, carry me to the world. It's like, you know, huge. And that, that will be your legacy as a people and as a kingdom, right? For your benefit, for your life, but also for others' lives as well. It's not a set of checklist rules that if you don't follow it, you know, you're going to hell or whatever else. It is a set of commands that God gives us to show us what he's like, to show us what he values and to challenge us to be like him 
so that we would be people filled with life and giving life to others. That's what his commands are. Yeah? And that is what you read. There are 613, well, rabbis will debate this, but 613 commands in, <clears throat> in the Old Testament. And these 613 commands, plus or minus a couple, these commands, uh, they're all very bizarre. Well, most of them are very bizarre. And yet, the way that we're supposed to read these commands, particularly as people who know who Jesus is, is we're supposed to read these commands as stepping stones to life. Stepping stones to what it looks like to value the things that God values. And some of them are harder to understand than others. Uh, But at the end of the day, this is the point of the commands in the Old Testament. And I'm not just making that up. Let's have a look at um, what that looks like um, with Jesus. So let's have a look at Matthew chapter 5. So we go from Mount Horeb, where God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses, to a little mountain um, in Israel uh, during the Roman occupation, where Jesus just parks alongside with a bunch of his disciples, as well as hundreds of people who've decided to follow him and decided to kind of park along this mountain as well and listen to him for a few hours. This is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 says this. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, Jesus says. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the people who study the law the whole of their lives, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then what Jesus does is he goes on to unpack a whole bunch of these laws. He goes on to unpack about don't simply murder. That's not the end of the law. Actually, even if you hate someone or say a bad word about someone, that's like you've murdered in your heart and that's enough to separate you from God. Don't just simply not cheat on your husband or wife. Don't just commit adultery. But even if you look at someone with lust and a lustful intention in your heart, that's just as bad as committing adultery and enough to separate you from God. Divorce. Don't just like be upset if you divorce someone and like be like, oh, well, that sucks that that didn't work out. But recognize how serious divorce is and how it leads to pain and to suffering. Not that it's always wrong, but anyway, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, Don't just make empty promises and break them and then look like a scumbag to other people, but recognize that your very words... How could you ever depend on your own word? So be very careful what comes out of your mouth and always, always, always have humility enough to recognize that you aren't big enough to make big, bold promises and and even more humble to never break your word. Um, And don't just think that an eye for an eye is a good idea because, you know what, it's not a bad idea, to be honest with you. I mean, like, you know, if someone uh, murders your, you know, whatever 
family member, you kind of want a bit of justice, right? You kind of want to see that person to be brought to justice. But no, no, don't just kind of be at that level, be at the, 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 the low level of just like wanting retribution and revenge and like equality and, and badness. Aim for equality and goodness. Aim for a higher standard. When someone is bad to you, rude to you, evil to you, you turn your other cheek. You offer the next hundred miles. You submit yourself even when it hurts and even when it's unfair. You go the extra mile for the person who persecutes you. Jesus says that, framing it in the context of what we just read, he says that that's what the law is. That that's what the commandments of God are. He says, I'm not here to add to them or take away from them. He's here to fulfill them and complete them. To reveal them for what they really are. Which is the true ideals uh, of, of what we're supposed to be like and who God actually is. Jesus claims that this is what it looks like uh, to be someone who follows God. And more so, he claims that this is what it looks like to be God. In fact, he says this in verse um, uh, 43 of Matthew chapter 5. He says, You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, Jesus here is saying, this is who God is. He is the God who will go the extra mile for you. He is the God who will forgive you time and time again. He is the God who will send rain for your crops, but also send it to the foreign tribe, foreign land who hate him and who try to wage war against him. He is the God who provides all good things to all people, no matter what, at any time, because that is who he is. And he says, you be like your heavenly father. You be like him. If you want to follow him, that's, that's your goal. It's not just a checklist of Ten Commandments anymore or 613. It's be perfect. Be perfect. This is God's command to us. Who's feeling nervous? Yeah, me too. Yeah, 100%. Because guess what? None of us in this room are like that. None of us. Uh, just maybe it's worthwhile doing this. Think about your day right now, like literally the last 24 hours. Um, how many times were you not perfect? How many times did you have road rage? That literally happened to me as I was coming here. Uh, how many times have your eyes wandered? How many times have your thoughts wandered? How many times have you worried about you and your own rather than thinking about the person next to you and trying to help them rather than help yourself? Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now this, this, you know, this would be actually pretty easy if Jesus actually failed at this himself. Right? This would be, like, we could kind of be like, all right, we, we wouldn't be talking about this actually if Jesus failed at this himself. But um, let's have a look at um, uh, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 from verse 36. 
So just like we started in the garden, um, in a garden we will end. Uh, and just like midway through, we, we saw two mountains, so we've seen two gardens. And uh, you see, Jesus didn't just walk the walk or talk the talk, he, he walked the walk. Um, his whole life was a life of what he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. His whole life was completely in service to others. Um, he rebuked. Um, those who thought they had it all and who actually had power to put people down, he rebuked them. And what he did to those who were weak and who had no power, he elevated them. He had sympathy for people who no one else would have sympathy on. <clears throat> he loved people who everyone else thought was unlovable. And uh, it all led him to gar- this Garden of Gethsemane, where he knows in literally about 12 hours, he will uh, be giving his life. Um, and he is kneeling down to pray, and that's what we're going to read. Let's actually start from verse uh, 38. Uh, so he says to his disciples, My soul is very sor- sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, and the cup being his impending death. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Can you see the two trees in this garden? Can you see the tree of life that looks like death? But can you also see the tree of what is good and evil, what we would call good and evil, holding on to life, right? Jesus sees it, and he is really tempted. He doesn't want to go through with this. Uh, in another gospel, it talks about him sweating and, and crying, like tears and blood, and it's tearing him up. And then it says this in verse 42, again for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. You see how the prayer changed? You see how it went from... Uh, if there's any way, get me out of this, please. To, I know there doesn't seem to be another way, so your will be done. Um, his heart is moving to align with the will of his father. He is choosing to drink from this bitter cup or to take this fruit that uh, he doesn't want to take. But um, he goes ahead and he does it. So, you see, Jesus not only... Yeah, said all these things and lived a pretty good life, but he, he died for these things. Um, his conviction and his words led him to a place where he literally gave his life for what he was teaching. Um, and not just for what he was teaching, but for you and me. Because, you see, when he decided to follow through and to actually deny uh, his own desires and follow through with the will of the Father... He became a new tree of life for us. The cross became a new tree of life for us. And now, for you and me, we have that crossroads all over again. We've got these two trees all over again, but this time it's a cross and it's our own desires rather than these two um, trees that we read in Eden. Um, Paul 
puts it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. He says, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. His obedience, his completion of the law, the only life that ever truly followed the law uh, to the T, his life then becomes um, a source of restoration for us, a source of life for us, a source of renewed relationship for us, a source of empowerment for us. Um, And uh, we're just going to end off with one more verse, and it's in John chapter 13. And uh, this is Jesus talking. So this is his famous command that a lot of you shouted out um, as I was asking you earlier, um, what's a command of Jesus? And it's John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35. This is um, as he's sitting with his disciples before he's about to die, um, uh, having the Passover meal with them. He says this, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What's new about that command? I thought that we kind of just agreed that love is like the main command all throughout the whole Bible. What's new? Well, the new part is that now we have Jesus as, a, as an example. Now we have, now we have reality um, and perspective on what that actually looks like. Because, sure... Um, loving God does look like don't murder and don't commit adultery and don't steal and, and all that kind of stuff. But all of a sudden, Jesus brought it to reality where it's not just those things, but it's actually lay down your life for those who want to hurt you for whatever wrong reason it is. Um, forgive those who, don't, who aren't worthy of your forgiveness. Um, serve those who would want to spit in your face. Um, and, and so that's the new part of the commandment. But you see, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, God has only ever commanded two things. Enjoy me. Enjoy what I've provided you and, 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 and given to you this, you know, your life and, and every good thing that I've given to you. But the second thing is trust me, follow me, choose life. Don't choose death. Choose me. Don't choose your own way. Um, for your sake and for everyone's sake around you. Yeah. So let's um, bow our heads together. And I don't know what, what this means to you. I don't know why um, you might be hearing this. And I don't know how God wants you to respond. But he does want you to respond. Who, who is it in your life that you need to love unconditionally? Who is it in your life you need to serve uh, even though they don't deserve it? Who is it in your life that you need to ask for forgiveness because you've carried hatred towards them? Who is it in your life that you've, uh, you've thought the worst of or, or whatever? How have you rebelled? How have you chosen to disobey God's commands? How have you chosen to reject him and reject who he is? And will you follow him? Jesus, the cross, it stands for you. It stands for you and it says that he knows that you need him. 
And it also says that you need him not just for forgiveness and, and for eternal life, but you need him to actually be able to live the way that you are called to live. So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the time we can spend together and the time that we can spend at your feet. Lord, we just pray that these words wouldn't go on, just go in one ear and out the other, Lord, but that they would impact us and change our hearts and our lives, Lord, so that we would follow you and love you and be a kingdom of priests um, and a people, Lord, that would reflect you and who you are and all the good things that you have um, for those who love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.